Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Billy. I get the privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and that's a huge honor for me, and uh, I love serving in that capacity. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you've been here, you know we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this year, we're walking through the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's been incredible. We're talking about Paul's heart for uh, the church in Corinth, but not just the church in Corinth, the church in general. Uh, Corinth is a very difficult place, as you guys have heard. Uh, we compare it to uh, Las Vegas. It's kind of sin city. A lot of stuff going on, sexual sin, uh, a lot of idolatry. There was a lot of pride there about sin. It was a very difficult place uh, to minister. And uh, Paul went in there and has planted a church and now has moved on. And the book and the letters of First and Second Corinthians are him writing back to them and really addressing a few of the issues that are going on there and encouraging them uh, to be the church uh, that God has called them uh, to be. And so we've learned over the past few weeks that there are some divisions going on in the church of Corinth. Uh, they're fighting uh, about who their favorite pastor is, right? So there's a few guys that have come in and uh, preached, and some of them like Apollos, and some of them like Paul, and some of them like Peter, and others are just like, we don't need the church, we just need Jesus, get away from us. And so you got all of these divisions going on, and Paul's coming in, and he's been teaching them a lot about unity. And so last week we talked about how the church unifies uh, with our message. Our message unifies us. Uh, our testimony uh, unifies us, that we've all been saved and called out of darkness and into uh, God's light. And then also the power of God at work within us unifies us as the church. And so we've been learning why unity is such a big deal uh, in God's church. Well, God's church is, is his vehicle uh, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but it's also uh, really his representative or his ambassador into the world. And so God wants the world to look in at the church, not a building, but the group of people uh, that make up the church and see a reflection of him, like his heart uh, for God, his heart and his relationships and how relationships should look uh, with one another. And so unity is a big deal to God because unity is a big deal for the gospel to be attractive to our lost world in a world full of division, in a world full of uh, all sorts of things going on. God wants people to be able to look at the church and say, wow, this is what we were created for. This is what it means to live life. This is what it looks like to be in healthy relationships with one another. And so today he's going to go a little bit deeper into that. And it's important to understand that uh, there, there, there was an issue in Corinth that was going on that was a little deeper than just divisions. Uh, the Corinth, obviously, we've learned their culture was very worldly, right? There was a lot of sin uh, that was going on. It was very uh, rampant. They were uh, kind of allowing that type of worldly mindset to slip into the church. And Paul was concerned because uh, when the world looked at the church, there wasn't a very much of a difference between the way the church in Corinth was living and the people of Corinth were living. And this was a big deal. And so he wanted uh, to write to them to help them understand why it was a big deal for them to live. But he gives us some incredible things this morning uh, to look at. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And we're going to see that Paul points out three things. So if you're a note taker, uh, you can go ahead and write these down. And he kind of defines this as the pathway to unity within the church. And so the first thing he's going to talk to us about is the wisdom of God. 
uh, the wisdom of God. The second thing he's going to talk to us about is the spirit of God. And then the third thing is the mind of Christ. And those three things are interconnected. You almost can't even separate them because the wisdom of God with the spirit of God creates the mind of Christ or produces the mind of Christ in us so that then ultimately we could be unified as a church. So let's read and study. So here we go. Verse one, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So again, we talked a little bit about this last week, but there's this argument going on there about who's the best preacher, who's the wisest preacher, who preaches the best, who, who's the most theological, who communicates the best, and they're all divided up. And Paul's point is, it doesn't matter who's preaching. We're not looking for the wisdom of man. We're interested in the wisdom of God. And so whether I'm preaching up here or someone else is preaching, it doesn't matter who the person preaching is. It matters what they're preaching, and it needs to be the wisdom of God that we find in the Word of God. And that's what Paul wants them to understand. It really doesn't matter who the person is. It matters about the wisdom of God. And, and Paul's saying if our faith is built on the wisdom of man, it's not going to last. Like if, if people, if you're coming to our church because I'm here or you're building your faith on what I say, it's not faith in Christ, it's faith in Billy. And that's not what scripture is about. It's not what the gospel is. Our faith, our firm foundation, as we just sang, is Christ and who he is and his teaching. Doesn't matter what I think, it matters what the word of God says. And Paul's saying we need to build our lives on the wisdom of God because that is what produces real life change and that is what lasts forever. Verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. So Paul's addressing the more mature now. He says, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so Paul, again, in chapter 1, has told us the wisdom of God is the message of the cross, right? So when he says wisdom of God, he's talking about what Christ came and did, the fact that he came and died on a cross for you and I, that, that he was literally the only way of salvation. And what he's saying is that the rulers of the world missed that. And the way we know they missed it is because they crucified the God of the universe, right? And so they're not thinking in the, wrong, in, the, in the right realm because if they would have been, they wouldn't have crucified him the way they did. Uh, verse 9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived are the things God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, these are, are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. So how do we begin to get insight, like into the fact that 
the, the cross wasn't uh, a backup plan. Like it wasn't like God created us and uh, we kind of got off track and he didn't know what was going on. No, God created the world knowing that the cross was going to happen. It wasn't a backup plan. It was his plan A. That's what he intended uh, to, to reveal himself and who he was. That is the only way for us to be saved. And so how do we do that? Well, Paul says the only way you understand that is if you have the spirit of God. And listen to him. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? He says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. Listen, why? So that we may understand what God has freely given us. And he's saying this, this is what the Spirit does. It is the great revealer in the Christian faith. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of us, when the Spirit of God comes to live in us and, and moves on us, the cross becomes real to us. It becomes personal. It's not a story that we heard as a little kid, but it is literally our salvation. It is Christ in our place, Christ dying for us, taking our sin upon himself and gifting us his righteousness. It becomes personal. It literally makes the gospel the power of God for salvation in our lives. It's not a distant message. It is a, is a personal message. Verse 13, this is what we speak, Paul says, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Paul's saying, the message I'm speaking to you is not something I've made up. Like, this isn't uh, intellect that I've gained. This is literally the message of God. This is the wisdom of God that he's given me to speak uh, to you. Verse 14, he says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit, verse 15, the person with the Spirit, so we see two categories of people, person without the Spirit, doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit, uh, considers them foolishness and doesn't understand them, neither can it discern when the Spirit's talking. The second category is the person with the Spirit, and he says the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we, Christians, uh, filled with the Spirit, the person with the Spirit, have the mind of Christ. And so this is chapter 2. This is God's Word. And so what we see in chapter 2 is, is Paul's making the point that the Spirit is a big deal. Like, it's huge. As a Christian... Uh, the Spirit of God is not an optional part of the Christian life. It isn't like, oh, yeah, well, uh, I like the whole idea of being a Christian, but the whole idea of God living in me and living through me and me yielding to him and what he wants and not doing what I want to do, I'm not up for that. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, as a Christian, the Spirit of God is our greatest strength. Like, it is God in us that we that is living through us, and we need to understand that it is so important, specifically when it comes to unity in the church. Unity in the church is produced, listen to me, these three things we're talking about, when the wisdom of God and the Spirit of God 
produce the mind of Christ in us. So when we hear the wisdom of God, God's word, and when we, hear, when, we, when we receive the spirit of God and those things become realities in our life, we can understand them, we can comprehend them, we can discern them, then what happens is the wisdom of God, empowered by the spirit of God, begin to produce the mind of Christ in you and I so that then we can begin to think like Christ. And then as we think like Christ, we live like Christ. And this is the unification of the church is a church that glorifies God, a church that lives for Christ, not a church that looks the same, not a church that all comes from the same background, that are all the same color, that, that have the same amount of money, that come, it's, it's literally a diverse group of people. That's uniformity, but what Christ is looking at is unity, people from all walks of life, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, coming together up under the Lordship of Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, looking to the wisdom of God, thinking like Christ and thinking like God, now living together, locking arm in arm, and the world looks back and says, oh my heavens. In a world full of division, where we have different political parties, different teams that we cheer for, different people we like and we don't like, folks that say this, folk that say that, the church is unified and unified, and it is a picture for the world to see that there is something greater than our opinion and there's something greater than us and it is the Spirit of God that unifies his church. And this is what ultimately is Paul's talking about. And he, he, he has such an incredible heart for the church at Corinth. Man, he wants them to be what God wants them to be. I mean, you, you think about the words that Christ uses for the church. He says, I want my church to be a city on a hill. I want it to be the light of the world. You know, when you think about that term, it means that people should look at the church, not a building now. This is the people, the relationships that gather in this room, and they should see something different. They should see a picture of Jesus. Because ultimately, the people that in this world, the only picture tangibly that they'll get of Jesus is the picture that we're showing them. And so it's very important to understand that unity is very, very important to God. So let's talk about each of these things and let's kind of connect them together to hopefully so that we can walk out of here with, with tremendous clarity around what Paul is saying. So the first is the wisdom of God. Let's read verses one through eight one more time. It says this, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, Paul's talking about his visit to them in Acts 18, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. He's saying, I didn't come with this great message. I wasn't that great of a speaker, but I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, this message of the cross. Verse three, and I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. You know, you think of Paul showing up in Corinth as this big buff dude. He's planting churches. He's awesome. It's like, man, look at this guy. This is God in the flesh. Boom, boom, boom. And he says, no, I came to you in weakness. I wasn't that great of a speaker. It wasn't power in me. The power was in the message that I was proclaiming, the spirit of God, the message of God, the message of the cross. This is what he says. And then he goes on and he says, verse four, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but they came with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, my wisdom, me, but on God's power. And he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. He's like, I'm not against wisdom from God and going into the deeper things. He said, but I just chose to focus on the main thing. 
the message of the cross. He says, he, he goes on and says, uh, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified Jesus, the Lord of glory. And so Paul wanted them to understand that the wisdom of God had been revealed to them. Like they had access to the wisdom of God and that this wisdom from God was not the same wisdom that they get from the world. Again, you're in Greece, Corinth. You're in a place where people love knowledge. They love philosophy. Think Greek philosophy and they're getting all of these different things. And Paul says, I'm not into the philosophy. I'm into the message of Christ. And this philosophy of Christ makes all the other philosophies look foolish is what he's saying, and, and he's, he's, he's digging into that. And he says these two things are at odds to one another. And so he, he's talking about there's a clear divide in the way that people who are following the wisdom of the world and who are following the wisdom of God. There's a divide between those two people. And he says in the church, we don't follow the world's wisdom. Like we follow wisdom from God. So let's talk about what does that look like? Well, the world's wisdom says this, that the cross is foolish. Like it looks at the cross and says, well, what's the big deal? This guy, this carpenter from Nazareth 2,000 years ago died on a cross. Why does that even matter? Why does that even affect me, right? Which is kind of a good thing. Well, why? It means something to us because we know who that carpenter was. It was the God of the universe that came to die uh, for the sins. He was a lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. But to them, it's nonsense. Like, man, that doesn't even make sense. Why are y'all literally... Uh, carrying around and elevating an electric chair, essentially, because that's what the cross was to them, was this torturous, uh, cursed death that only the worst of people would die. It'd be like literally me hanging a picture of the electric chair or a lethal injection up on this thing and saying, man, this is our hope. And y'all would be like, this dude's crazy. I'm never coming back. And so we wear crosses now like it's nothing, but if you think about it, a cross back then would have meant torture and death. Literally would be like having a chain with, a, with an electric chair. Try to get a friend with that, right? <laughs> they don't like you. And so as you see, I mean, the, the cross to the world is foolishness. The world's wisdom says just follow your heart. Like you don't have to live in submission to someone else. Like that's the opposite of freedom. Just follow your heart. Do what you want to do. Uh, you're smarter than God. Like God doesn't understand. He lived 2,000 years ago. Why would he understand what I'm walking through today and try to speak into my life? I'll live based on what I think. This is what the wisdom of the world says. Be you. Do you. That's what, It's all about you. The world's wisdom says whatever feels right, just do it. It seems right. Do it. The world's wisdom says, live for yourself. This world's about you. Uh, go and make it about you. Go make a name for yourself. The world's wisdom says, live your best life now. Don't even think about eternity. Just live now. Make money. Be successful. Do everything you can do to build a name for yourself because all you get 70 years. YOLO, right? You only live once. Let's do it. And so this is the pathway of the world's wisdom that Paul's saying. This is what's going on in Corinth. But, God, but Paul says, hey, we're different. Like, we're Christians. God has opened our eyes to the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God teaches us to live differently. On the other hand, God's wisdom says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Don't trust them. 
He says, uh, God's wisdom says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death and destruction. Right? This is Proverbs 14, 12. Uh, Colossians 1 teaches us that we weren't created to live for ourselves. Like we weren't created to make much of ourselves, to live for glory. It says that we were created by God for God and to be an image bearer for his glory, right? So that's a total different thing. God says we're created not by him, for him, to live for his purposes. God's wisdom says this earth is not our home. So don't get comfortable here. Don't set up shop here. Like, you're only here for a short time. We have eternity to live for. God's wisdom says to lay your life down, to take up your cross, die to yourself, and live for God. Leverage everything you have in this life for the sake of the mission of God and the purpose of God. This is completely different. These are two different directions. Two different directions to live your life. And Paul says in Corinth, the wisdom of the world had crept into the wisdom, in, into the church. And the church was no longer representing the way of God. It had beginning to look like the way of the world. And this was creating a ton of division within the church at Corinth. And we can look at them and say, well, man, that church sucks. They're terrible. Golly, man, they don't get it. You know, they just let the world come in here. But back off of the church in the United States, back off of this church and churches in our area, does our church look more like the world? I'm not talking about when we gather together on Sunday. It's easy here. But when we scatter out into this world, do our lives look more like the ways of the world or do they look more like the ways of God? This is what Paul is addressing. He said the church was looking more like, more like the world than it was Christ. Sin was rampant. Relationships were uh, not working. There was bitterness and unforgiveness uh, there were lawsuits against one another. We're going to get into all this stuff. It was, there was a ton of division. And the reality that we have to understand is that as we begin, as the church, to look to worldly wisdom, there will always be division in the church because the essence of sin is selfishness. And the result of selfishness is you don't work well with other people. And so this is what causes division in the church. On the other hand, as we begin to look to God, and unify up under him and say, it doesn't matter what I think, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for him. And another person says, no, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for him. Then unity begins to happen because we begin to strive together arm in arm for the things of God. And if we're living our lives based on the ways of the world, we will be a divided church. And we will miss out on the plans that God have for us. And so it's important that we begin to strive to live for God, this is why the word of God is so essential in the church today. You know, it's so essential, not only in the church, but in our lives. And you have to understand it's as each of us as individuals begin to learn and, 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 and study the wisdom of God from his word, we begin to align together uh, as a unit to do the work of God. God's given us 66 books of his wisdom, his divine revelation, who he is, what he's done, how he's designed us to live our life. This is his word to us. He gives us instruction on how the church should work, on what our purpose is to play a part uh, in his mission. He, and it's this divine wisdom as we begin to learn it and grow in it that unites us in a big way. So here's the question that we have to ask ourselves based on Paul's teaching. 
what is my relationship with God's word? Like, what is my relationship with the wisdom of God? Have I conceded and just began to, to gain all of my wisdom from the world? Like, do I care more about Facebook and, and, and worldly articles and social media than I care about the word of God? Like, what has more influence in my life? Like, am I devoted to the things of God? Am I devoted to uh, studying God's word? This is why as a church, we have a reading plan that we read together. I would love for you to join in on that. It's called the 412 reading plan after Hebrews 412. We believe the word is living and active and really has power to transform our life. We'd love for you to jump in. You can download it on our app. We write questions. We work hard to, to make it very beneficial for you uh, and, and for us as a church where we can strive arm in arm, devoted to God's word and God's wisdom. Or are we more devoted to the wisdom of the world? And so the average, and this is sad, the average Christian reads their Bible one day a week. One day a week. I would go even farther. The average man never reads a book after high school, including the Bible. I hate to read. Billy, I just don't like to read. I don't understand. I don't know this. Well, if you love God, you got to know God. And the only way we can know God is through his revelation to us, which is through his word. We have to be a people devoted to God's word. That's the first thing that Paul teaches us, the wisdom of God. Secondly, the spirit of God, spirit of God, verses 9 through 16. Listen, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived are the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. If you're underlined in spirit, there's a lot of underline. Verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, Christians, filled with the Spirit, have the mind of of Christ. And so again, this just is, is so important that we understand how essential the Spirit of God is to the Christian life. Listen, whatever you do, do not walk out of here today and miss what I missed for so long in my life. Don't think that you can do and live the Christian life on your own. Don't think that you can save yourself. Don't think that you can do anything for the kingdom of God apart from the Spirit of God. Literally, the only thing that can help us align with God, that can truly change us from the inside out, that can truly make us useful for the kingdom of God, is the Spirit of God. So if you're in here and you're like, Billy, man, I bring a lot to the table now. You had not heard me speak. Hey, I got a lot of Bible knowledge. 
Listen, perfect attendance in Sunday school class. You need to understand the only value you bring to the kingdom of God is the value that comes with the spirit of God. And so that creates a level playing field for all of us. I'm no different than you. Only difference is God has given me the spirit and given me the gift of teaching, which is why I stand before you today, because lo and behold, I don't like to stand up in front of people. But this is what the spirit of God does in us. So let's talk about it. Letter A, what, is the, what, what does the spirit do? What the spirit does? We need to understand this. Listen, the first is he reveals God to us. Like we can't see God. Like nobody in here can just say, all right, I'm ready to see God. Let me see God. Let me see who he is, what his purposes are, all these things. No, listen to the scripture. What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived are the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. I don't know about you, but when I read that, and I, I hear the things that God has prepared for those who love him, the plans of God in my life, I can't see them, I can't think about them enough, I can't hear them, but they're revealed to me in the spirit. I don't know about you, but I ain't missing that. Like, I wanna be a part of that. I don't know what God's plan is for my life, but whatever it is, I want to be a part of it. And the only way I can be a part of it is if I have the spirit of God. He searches the deep things of God, Paul says. Like if we wanna know the deep things of God, if we wanna grow in our relationship with God, if we truly wanna know God, the Spirit of God is how we do that. He says the Spirit knows the thoughts of God. He reveals those thoughts to us. Literally, we get the mind of Christ with the Spirit of God. <laughs> you can take it how you want to, but God thinks we're so stupid that he literally sends himself to live inside of us so that we can learn to think the way he thinks. Or you can see it will go positive uh, side of that. God knows how much we need some good thoughts. And so he sends himself to live inside of us so that we can begin to think about life and think about ourselves the way he wants us to think about ourselves and think about life. That's a good God. That's a gracious God. It doesn't leave us in our sin and leave us in our messed up and jacked up worldviews and leave us searching for identities in places that are only gonna destroy us, but gives us the spirit of God so that we can see clearly who we are, what his purpose is for our life. That is a good, good God. I don't know if you love him, but I do. Uh, here we go. So he knows not only the thoughts of God, he reveals those thoughts. He gives us understanding, Understanding of what God has freely given us. This is an understanding of grace. He says he explains spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. He says, listen, if you wanna know anything about God, the Spirit of God is what does that. The Spirit of God is literally everything in the life of a believer. He saves us, he seals us, he gives us eyes to see, he is the great revealer, he is the spirit of truth, he is our indwelling teacher, he is our great helper, he convicts us of sin and righteousness, he's our great counselor, he guides us into the truth, he comforts us when we need comfort, he is our sanctifier, he finishes the work of salvation for us. Literally, he is everything that we aren't and what we can't do for ourselves. God says, I will give you the secret weapon. I will give you the secret sauce of the Christian life. He is the spirit of God. And this is incredible news. He's not an optional part of the lie. I don't know, listen, I don't know what you think about the spirit. I don't know if it's a right view or a wrong view, but here's what I can tell you. If you want to live for God, if you wanna be a Christian, if you want God to do something in you, and through you, 
You will need the Spirit of God. He's not just for super Christians. He is the life. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's everything in between. The Spirit of God is the secret weapon of the Christian life. Without him, there's no faith, no salvation, no growth, no fruit. It's important that we understand that. Secondly, Paul groups us in two types of people. So as you should have seen, he says the person without the Spirit and the person with the Spirit. It's important that he groups and categorizes people in that way. I'm going to call them the spiritual person. That would be the person with the Spirit and the natural person. This is the person that doesn't have the Spirit. He may think they're a Christian or whatever, but they don't have the Spirit of God. And then he tells us a little bit about them. In Corinth, there were two types of people in play, and this was kind of at the root of what was causing a lot of the division, those without the Spirit. These were people that couldn't understand and discern the things of God. So, so they would hear Paul talk about the things of God, or they would hear the word of God, or someone stand up and speak about Christ and the message of the cross, and they couldn't understand it, and they couldn't discern it as, as from God. They just saw it as teaching from a man, essentially. Uh, there were people there that didn't accept the things from God. They rejected them. This isn't God's word. This isn't the message of God. This is, this is foolishness, is what Paul says. This was the person that was living based on worldly wisdom. They did not have the mind of Christ. They were thinking about the world. They were full of pride. They were living and acting as if God did not exist, which is the essence of the person without the Spirit is a person that says, I don't need God. Like, my thoughts are pretty good. Like, I've made sense of this life. Like, this isn't that hard. I've kind of got this thing figured out. If that's your heart and that's the way you think, then you're, you, don't understand, like you don't have the Spirit of God. I mean, I'm not saying you can't wrestle with that, but part of understanding how much we need God is part of how we get the Spirit of God. Because until we understand how much we need God, we'll never surrender our life to Christ. And this is the essence of pride, is living as if we do not need God, as if we can figure things out, as if we can live life and have figured out how life is designed to live. But the start of the Christian life is falling on our knees and saying, Lord, I've got this all wrong. I've been living for myself. I thought I had this thing figured out. I was living the wisdom that I thought was wisdom, but you've shown me there's a different way. You created me for more than living for myself, and I want to now turn from myself and turn to you. This is repentance. This is where salvation happens. And he says this is how people were thinking without the Spirit. But then he says there's another category of people. These are the folks with the Spirit. These are the people in the, in the Corinthian church that, that, that were Christians, that were true believers, that had been born again. He says these people could understand, and they could discern, and they could make judgments about the things of God. Like they could see and, and, and understand things being from God. They accepted things from God. They didn't reject the way of God. They said, no, we want the teaching of God. We want to live our lives for Christ. They didn't, they didn't consider it foolish, but they considered uh, Paul's message and the message that was coming from uh, the, the teachers of the word of God as, as, as wisdom and life itself. And, and they, they had the mind of Christ. Their lives were characterized by compassion and humility and, and service. And they were characterized by the fruit of the spirit and love and joy and peace. And all these things were flowing from their life. And, and they, they loved God and they loved 
loved people and they had love for the mission of God. And so they were eating up the words of Paul, like, let's do this. This is us. This is God's wisdom for us. Let's apply this into our life. And this was creating these huge divisions because you had this one people that were hungry, man. Give us, we want God. We want to know. We want to live for God. And then on the other hand, it's like, God don't know me. He don't know my life. Like, I tell what I want to do. I don't like that God wants me to do that. I'm not doing it. This creates division because the church becomes about opinion and it doesn't become about the wisdom of God. So this is why salvation and this is why Christianity and this is why being a part of the church begins with submission to Christ and saying, God, I see that I need you. Like You're the creator. You're the author of life. And so I'll look to you and together as the church, we align our lives behind him and we begin to move together as a team. Listen to how Paul describes this in Romans 8. This is such a beautiful picture of, of this, this, this battle. Romans 8, 5 through 9 says, Those who live according to the flesh, those are people that are without the Spirit, have their minds set on what the flesh desires, what the what world desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But he says, you, the church at Rome, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And so Paul is so clear with this. He says, either you're in this category or you have the spirit and the things of God are what mean, this is what your minds are fixed on, or you're in this category of the natural man. You're in the flesh. All you think about is you and you and you. And if God fits into your plan, you'll fit him in. But if not, hey, I'm going to continue to do what I want to do. And if God wants to bless it, that's great. But there's no surrender. There's no thoughts of, man, God knows better than me, and I want to live for him. And Paul says, this is what was going on. So the question that we have to begin to ask is just back off of our life and just get honest and personal, not, to the, not about the person to the right or to your left, but look into you and say, which one of these categories do I sound like? Like, which one of these sounds like me? Would Paul categorize me as a person with the Spirit that's characterized by love for God, like a desire for the wisdom of God, a person that's a servant, a person that's characterized by humility, a person that wants to be obedient in everything that they do? Or would he characterize me in this category of the flesh, of the natural man, where I want to do what I want to do, and I want God to bless what I want to do? But the idea of surrendering my life to him and him being in control of me as my Lord, absolutely not. I'm not willing to do that. Where would you be? And the great news about the gospel is the invitation to become a part of, of God, because what does he say in Romans 8? He says, it may seem like that's going to bring life, but it leads straight to death. But then those who walk in the Spirit, life and peace awaits you. So if we back off of that and hear it and say, 
Here's the life of life and peace. Here's the way of life and peace with God, with the Spirit of God at work in us. And here's the way of death and destruction. Which one would any person in the room choose? He said, man, I want life and peace. Well, what if surrender is in the path of you choosing life and peace? Is it worth it? Because this is the crossroads that we all come to. And no matter what in your mind is thinking, Billy, you're not right. That's not the pathway to life and peace. I've tried that before. Well, probably you tried the wrong thing. You probably tried religion and not Christ. But secondly, don't trust me. Trust the word of God. So this is God speaking. This isn't Billy speaking. This is God's word. And so when he tells you this is the life of life and peace, you're face to face with God. And you're saying, God, I know you think you're smart. And I know you created all the world and the stars and the sky and all this stuff, but you haven't met me yet. I'm a little smarter. And I think this way is going to lead me to life and peace. When you think about it, it almost sounds stupid. But I've been there. Like, I've been there. And maybe you're there today. But I'd encourage you. Man, God loves you. And he's got a plan for your life. And he's asking you, why don't you just step over? Why don't you surrender? And watch him bring life and peace into your life. The last thing Paul jumps to is the mind of Christ. And this is kind of where it all comes together. Remember, you got the wisdom of God, the, the spirit of God. And now he's bringing this thing into to say, now we've received the mind of Christ. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What a powerful statement. Paul's saying, if you're a Christian, you have the mind of Christ. Do you see what he's doing right here? He's saying the wisdom of God and the spirit of God at work in us literally produces the mind of Christ. But you gotta have both. Spirit of God, word of God, wisdom of God. As they work together in our lives, our minds begin to be renewed. Where we think like Christ, where we begin to see the way Christ sees, feel the way Christ feels, live the way Christ lives. And then he says, you get that, you'll get a unified church. Because it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter who's hurt you, who's not hurt you, what your experience has been. When you begin to love and live and feel and see and think like Christ, and I begin to live and love and see and think like Christ, we lock arm in arm. Naturally, it just happens. It's supernatural. And he says it doesn't matter where you're from. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Doesn't matter if you, if you came out of Islam, if you came out of Hinduism, if you came out of uh, uh, straight, you vowed a country boy syndrome, or if you came out of Collins off the farm, or if you came from the hood in the projects. Whatever it is, we come together and what aligns us, the wisdom of God, the spirit of God, together forms the mind of Christ. We lock arm in arm and we begin to live for Christ. He says that is the church. That's the church. Not about a building. It's not about you getting what you want. Not about worship preference or what kind of music we play. Not about who preaches or doesn't preach. It's about the mind of Christ and us coming together in relationship, doing life together, and living with the mind of Christ in this world. And he says when that happens, the world backs off and they say, oh my goodness. Ephesians 3 says that's when the manifold wisdom of God is displayed for the world to see. 
This is why when, when, when we send Bo across the world to plant a church, we're not just sending Bo. Because it doesn't matter if just Bo goes. We're planting a church. Because what God can do with a group of random people that say my yes is on the table and I'm going and he unifies them through the mind of Christ is displays his manifold wisdom in a way that he could not if Bo went by himself. Like this is why the church is a big deal. Like this, this town, this city, this world doesn't need one of us. Like it needs all of us, no Lone Ranger Christians locking arm in arm and saying we're gonna live with the mind of Christ and we're gonna do it throughout this community. Man, I'm telling you, it's like an army just conquering territory. This is the picture that Paul has. So you'd say, Billy, well, what does that mind look like? What does it look like for me to have the mind of Christ? I just wanna give you a few scriptures that I think would, would be helpful. Matthew 9, 36, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless because they were like sheep without a shepherd. A church that has the mind of Christ means that their heart breaks for lost people. Breaks, it looks, it does, it's not mad at lost people for acting lost. Like it doesn't distance itself from people that are going to hell. Like it, no, let's do something about it. Like let's go into the, the midst of them. Let's eat with them. Let's build relationships. Let's love them. Let's introduce them to the good news that has changed our life. This is what Christ, they are sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Let's go tell them about the good shepherd. This is the point of the church. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So having the mind of Christ, a church with the minds of Christ, means that we understand the plan of God in the world is to make disciples of all nations. And we say, I want to be a part of that. That's God's plan. That's what I'm created for. I want to be a part of that. So I want to go to equip, and I want to be equipped to go make disciples of all nations. Whatever I got to do to learn, I want to begin to step towards the plan of God in my life. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality, equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, underlined servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humility, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. A church with the mind of Christ is a church that literally is characterized by serving, that's characterized by humility, that's characterized by obedience, no matter what the cost of it is. Like this is who we are. Like this is the unified church. This is what we're after. So the question we have to begin to ask ourselves is, is this our mindset? Like this can be my mindset all day. But it ain't about me. It's about us. Like us. Even the person in this room that got saved yesterday. Like no man left behind. Like we need that person as much as we need me up here preaching. And so we don't kick people if they mess up. We're like, no, come on, let me show you. Pick them up. Let's go. Hey, this is what Christ created you for. This is what you're here. Let's, let's do it together. You don't know how to read the Bible? Let's read the Bible. You don't know how to love people? 
People have taken advantage of you your whole life. Well, let me show you some people that won't take advantage of you. Let me show you how to treat people that do take advantage of you. Let's show them Christ. Hey, God's got a mission for your life, a purpose. He wants to use you. Let me show you what it looks like to be used by God. Like this is the church. So Father, would you do this work in us? Can't just be one of us, it's gotta be all of us. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Listen, I don't know where you came in this morning. I don't know if you had a good place with God. If you're far from God, if you feel like God's given up on you, if you've strayed away from God, whatever, wherever you are, I'm telling you, this morning, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life. He loves you. Listen, if you're not dead, he's not done with you. This morning, he's, he's open-armed. Invitation, would you come? But listen, in between you and him is surrender. And so this morning, I pray all over this room, that God would be drawing people into surrender. That you would see on the other side of that surrender is life and peace. If you're in here this morning, you're looking for life and peace. Today's the day, would you come? If anybody's in this room this morning, you say, Billy, I, I, don't, I don't have the spirit of God. Like I've, I've never been saved. I've never surrendered my life to Christ. And I've heard the message of the gospel, that Jesus loves me that Jesus died in my place, that I can't save myself. So Jesus saved me. He came to me. He took my sin and he took God's wrath so that now I can trust in him and his finished work. And now I can be reconciled to God, be used by God, receive the spirit of God. And you say, Billy, that's me this morning. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. Right where you are, would you lift your hand? Say, Billy, that's me. I wanna pray. Anybody in here? You say, Billy, that's me. That's me. I'll give you a second. Raise your hand. Say, yep, that's me. So, Father, here's my prayer. God, would you create us, in us, a desire to be your church? That's what this book is all about. God, create in us your mind. God, through your wisdom and through your spirit. God, so that as we live together in this community and all over the world, people would see you. God, that's our heart. Would you do it in us? Because we can't do it for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand and worship?